right, that's some beautiful singing. I don't know if it's the smaller room, it's the darker windows, it's the atmosphere, um, but I love it. I love hearing you guys sing to our, our king who is worthy. Um, that is a joy. <clears throat> now we get to uh, look a little bit at a topic uh, here that you guys have been hearing about. Uh, we started off last week uh, introducing and that is uh, to have encounters with Christ. So I just appreciate Chris sharing uh, his life uh, so much. And that's a blessing to see that these, these examples of you guys. Each of you have a story uh, of how Christ collided with your life and changed the, the course of your life. Um, well, if you were here last week, uh, we learned about fish, right? Um, well, in a way, it was more about Peter, uh, but about fish. And this week, uh, we learn about um, dogs, all right? So <clears throat> here is my dog, Oscar. Um, you guys don't know him because he's dead. Um, that's kind of depressing to start with, right? <clears throat> but uh, I have a different boxer right now. Her name is Lucy, <clears throat> and she's just the replacement of Oscar. Don't tell her. Um, but, uh, but we love dogs. I grew up uh, being a, a dog guy, and um, my wife is not, so there's much counseling over that. But um, she's big on cats, um, and that's what Chris is going to talk about next week. So <clears throat> he has to work that in somehow. Um, so <laughs> have fun, Chris. Uh, but anyways, um, uh, we have a lot of statements that have to do with dogs, don't we? That they're just worked into our everyday kind of vernacular comments and uh, phrases, phraseology, idioms. Um, <clears throat> it's a And see if you can kind of help me out finish some of the statements, right? Uh, the world out there, it's a... Dog eat dog world. Yeah, right. You got it. <clears throat> so uh, um, get your bite in and hightail it out of there, right? Um, so <clears throat> another one, um, uh, she was sick as, yeah, you got that one. Um, can't teach an old dog. Yeah, that's true. Unless you have a really strong shock collar, uh, then you can pretty much teach them anything. <clears throat> like, that's so inhumane, Kyle. Um, but the, the tail that Wags the dog, uh-huh, that's right. <clears throat> My dog wags her entire body, so it's, it's just kind of like this, <laughs> yeah, hip workout. Um, <clears throat> all right, the pages of this used book are all dog-eared. Okay, good, you got it. Some of you are readers. Um, some of you are like, eaten? <laughs> <clears throat> My dog eats books. That's an excuse, all right, to not read. Um, uh, let sleeping dogs lie. They're cranky when they wake up, right? And they need their sleep. Uh, startled sometimes, and they might snarl or something. Um, after working all day, I am dog tired. Yeah. So, um, I'll let her have one. Who could, uh, who, sorry, um, who could say no to those puppy dog eyes, right? I was never good at that. <clears throat> My daughter's very good at that. Um, <clears throat> with all these deadlines lately, I have been working like, yeah. Um, hey, <clears throat> Every dog has its day. Yeah, maybe yours was today. Maybe you haven't had one yet. Uh, it's coming. Um, <clears throat> hey, leave me alone. Call your dogs off. Call your dogs off. That's if you're getting beat up by a gang or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> call your dogs off, right? Uh, when the United States plays soccer against other countries, we are always the yeah, underdog. <clears throat> That's right. I'm sad about that, but maybe it'll change someday. We'll have our day. Um, he really messed up. He is certainly in the doghouse. Dog yeah. <clears throat> Man, the other night it was raining. Yeah, cats and dog. Cats got in there. Um, excuse me. I got to see a man. <laughs> about a Kyle, why would you put that one in there? 
I don't even really know what that one means. So. Um, so I guess, just based off of some of these, you guys know them so well. We're talking the same, uh, same kind of language here, uh, that dogs really are a man's best friend, yeah. Um, so the passage of Scripture we're going to be opening up to tonight actually has a phrase about dogs, um, and it carries a ton of meaning to it. And unlike uh, these uh, awful, or pawful, if you want to use that, uh, dog idioms that we covered here, this one actually cuts down to who we are at the very core and talks about man's greatest need, greatest need. And so we're going to be turning to the book of Mark uh, in chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I invite you with me to turn there. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and we're going to be finding a woman who comes to Christ, and she has her encounter with Christ in exactly the way that each of us should come to Christ and should encounter Christ. And while she demonstrates great humility and faith in coming to Jesus, we're also going to find out something very wondrous and very wise about God's plan to seek and save the lost. The threat here tonight is real. The threat is that we can look at a message like this tonight and have a hard time not understanding it, but agreeing that we are in the same place and need to admit where we are at before God. That's something that's built into us, and I'm hopeful that God will, will lift the veil, will, will pull back that darkness, and for us to have some light stream in to our own hearts, for us to see how we have to come to Christ. Some of you have not yet come to Christ. Some of you have, and you know exactly what we're going to be talking about. And so now we get to read our passage, and we'll break it apart into uh, three chunks, uh, examining this woman's encounter with Christ. Look at Mark seven twenty four. It says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So we're going to look, first of all, at verses 24 to 26 and uh, about the woman's request. Sorry, I'm breaking my neck here. Yeah, the woman's request. Let's look at this. And you kind of notice this throughout the, the passage that we just read, but specifically in verses 24 to 26, and, and first of all, the, the setting for the request, okay? The setting is in verse 24, from there he arose, referring to Jesus, and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he probably went away from where he was just at before, Capernaum, um, and uh, ministering there and speaking and being uh, confronted by Pharisees and having to answer their uh, uh, kind of questions and accusations. 
And so he's probably escaping there, and that's why you can tell in verse 24 that he's almost kind of looking for rest, uh, looking for a respite, looking for a break um, from wrangling with, with these guys. So um, where are we at, though? Tyre and Sidon, um, sometimes it's helpful to get a little bit of lay of the land, right? Um, and so uh, here's a pretty cool picture. Uh, Mediterranean Sea, Red Sea, uh, the Dead Sea is kind of right in there. They say the Med, Red, and Dead, right? So you got kind of Israel is in the middle uh, of that. And so you got Israel there. Look at the top of Israel. You see the star, Tyre, okay? Um, <clears throat> and it's in kind of modern-day uh, Lebanon, uh, if you are more uh, aware of the map today. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of a north, uh, northern coast, like sea coast, uh, city and these cities, Tyre and Sidon, um, they've been around for a very long time. In the Old Testament, uh, there's references to them and that they were very, the people who lived there were Canaanite people in the land of Canaan, right? And uh, they were opposed to Israel. So they hated Israel. They opposed them. Uh, Judges talks about that. Isaiah, Joel, they all re- reference that. Um, and Jesus referred to the people who live in Tyre and Sidon as a people who are unrepentant and unbelievers, almost as a whole. Like, there's none, none in there who heard me and wanted what I was saying. And so we, we kind of know a little bit from a study of Scripture that Tyre and Sidon is like out of bounds, a little bit away from where the Jews are at, uh, where unbelievers are. Uh, some of you have probably been to a bad part of town. I'm sure Chris Anderson has a few times or two. Um, and, uh, and you kind of feel a little unsafe, or you feel a little bit like out of place, or you feel a little bit kind of like, man, um, there's some ruffians around. Um, and, uh, and in a spiritual way, this was the case. Um, so there were a lot of people that were very hostile toward God, his people, and what he was doing now, and especially Jesus coming through and teaching. And it says he did not want them to know uh, where he was at, so he was looking uh, to, to hide, um, like, like I said earlier, probably to rest, um, and to take a little break with his disciples. Verse 25 interrupts that, and it just goes to show how Jesus had to always be on. He was interruptible. And if you've ever been texted late, late at night or during a nap that was much deserved, and you're kind of like, oh, someone needs my help, right? Are they kids? Ah. You know, or whatever it is. Uh, and, and here Christ is, and, and being accessible and being reachable. Uh, by people who needed him most. So uh, we'll kind of go from the setting of the request. And now let's look at the, the humility here in verse 25. I want you to see this. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him. There's a few things here to look at. She heard of him. She came. She fell down at his feet. And so you've got this woman coming to Jesus in a certain way. Uh, Mark abruptly kind of interrupts by using this word immediately to move the narrative along quickly so we can kind of, uh, like in an action-packed way, kind of see what's happening. So boom, 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 different things are happening. And, and, uh, and here, again, another uh, case comes up where Jesus is going to have to uh, see what the situation is, assess it, respond to it, and, uh, and, and this is all purposeful and it's recorded for us. And so um, in this case, it's a woman and she has a little daughter. We don't know how young or little, but um, to use that word little in front of it um, without just leaving it as she had a daughter probably means that she actually was pretty little. Um, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, how old, but you can definitely get a sense of sympathy for this woman knowing um, there was something uh, really the matter. Uh, and and what, what you see and how she comes is that she, she hears about him. She comes to him, so she finds him, and she falls down at his feet. 
Uh, each of these things being uh, what are required and, and really a pattern for us as we come to him. And you, and you see this kind of happen with different people who are before Christ and before him. And you think about how this pattern is going on. Uh, you might have heard some message or you might have heard by reading something or, or listening to a, a, something online. Uh, and so you heard, uh, but, but you couldn't just hear and stay there, Right? You have to do something about it. And so when it says that she heard about him, well, then she came to him. That's a good sign. And and so we're talking about an encounter with Christ, right? This is it. She's coming to him. And then when she comes to him, she doesn't stand stiff in front of him and almost arrogantly or uh, or pridefully tell him what to do uh, or even ask him what to do. But but she, she really bows and gets low before him. At his feet. This is the word for, for bowing down, falling, prostrate, uh, on, on your hands and knees, on your face. You, it looked like you splatted, you just face planted, you belly flopped on the ground, and, and you're nothing. You're down low. Whoever's in front of you is very high, they're lifted up. Uh, other cultures, the way that they honor somebody uh, when they greet you is they go low. And when someone has more honor, guess what? They go lower. Uh, and it just kind of is one of those ways of showing respect. So there's really two things that she's showing by responding to him in his presence this way. One, she's showing how much she understands how great he is. And two, she's showing him how serious she is with what she's come to him with. And it is serious to try to imagine what she's been through and gone through to have a little daughter who was possessed by an unclean spirit. And you kind of think, well, maybe it was the terrible twos, you know. Yeah, we... (laughs) You've had kids, maybe, that, uh, and when they, you know, everybody tells you, oh, watch out for terrible two, you know. Um, Maggie wasn't the terrible two. She was terrible all the way up until two. Um, and so two was a delight for us. So, um, but uh, but there, were some, there were some different days before that. Um, my mom said that uh, raising me, she was like, Kyle, I went to bed crying many nights to try to raise you. Uh, she, you seemed like you had a demon inside of you. She wasn't literally meaning that, but she said, yeah, you pushed, you pushed me hard. Um, and I had two brothers too, so uh, they doubled in. But uh, maybe this uh, little daughter was terribly sick. Uh, she had a sickness, um, but we know that from what he talks about later, it says um, she begged him to cast out the demon out of her. This isn't just something unclean having to do with her body. There's a spiritual darkness inside of her. Th- this is demented. This is... Uh, something having to do with demon possession. So it's not a sickness. Uh, some might say, oh, she was having seizures, and so that's probably what the issue was. No, she was possessed by a demon as a little child, a little baby girl. And so her approach here is fitting, and knowing who she's coming to and knowing what she's coming with. Um, but th- there's a challenge uh, to, to this request. The, the challenge is here in verse 26. And it says, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And so Mark uh, does a little bit of extra biographical background to just explain who she is, where she's coming from, because it's going to help us understand not only the geography of where we're at around a a lot of non-believers, but also where she's from, what she would know and what she would believe and what she would come out of and to where she's at now, what would she would be coming into. So she was a woman, she was a Gentile, and she was from Syrophoenicia or Syria in this uh, place where the Phoenicians lived uh, along the sea there. 
And so Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite woman uh, in Matthew 15, 22. Um, and uh, so this was a way to describe somebody as a great sinner. This was a way to describe somebody as filthy as far as spirituality goes, uh, a, re- a religion goes. This, is, this was someone who was a false worshiper, uh, a pagan worshiper, and someone who lived with other pagan worshipers, and they were known for their sin. They were known for their sin. This is what made them a Gentile. Uh, they had rejected God and everything that went along with him. The law of God was not found in their hearts. Uh, they, they suppressed it until they could uh, have a freedom inside in some twisted way to go on sinning and sinning and sinning, and that it didn't disturb them anymore. And that's what their culture was known by. So you could say this is someone who was very worldly or who came out of the world. We use those words today. The challenge here was that she was a foreigner, an outsider, a pagan, and she was entering into the presence of the true king of Israel. When you enter into a king's presence, you're not welcome there unless if you've been brought in. And he's not just the king of Israel, he's the king of kings and he's the king of heaven. And here she was at the lowest part of earth. She was opposed to the, um, if you look at her story, you kind of wonder why this is wedged in right here and why this is happening and what maybe the significance is uh, that Jesus is finding a retreat place. Uh, She comes to him. uh, She's admitting her unclean uh, spirit, uh, the unclean spirit in her daughter's life. She's uh, coming clean to him, not trying to conceal who she is. Mark can see that's very plain. Um, Everybody understood that. Jesus identifies it. Um, and, and she even agrees with it later, admitting it, not trying to hide it. And so you've got someone who is clearly coming forward, admitting, yeah, this is the filth of my life. When the previous 23 verses have just been about Pharisees who come to Jesus and they're doing the exact opposite. They're coming to Jesus, trying to prove to him how clean that they are. But they're just showing him the outside of the cup. And so the inside of the cup is just filled with filth and, and rot and death spiritually in these Pharisees. And here you have almost uh, someone who is coming ready to be washed from the inside. And she just shows you on the outside of the cup, yep, I'm a dirty cup. And she just comes straight with it. And so it's a really beautiful contrast to be able to get out of where he was at. And you can understand why Jesus wanted to rest from these hypocrites that just had all these ways of elevating themselves and their own righteousness and using God to make them feel better. And, and they were just flat wrong and deceiving so many people. And here he's looking for rest and he's finding a woman. This, this is probably the most restful experience for him to have, spiritually speaking, to find someone who, who gets it, to find someone who's not trying to deceive Jesus, to, try, to find someone who's just shooting straight, saying, here's the real deal, I'm a mess. And you're gonna find as she continues to engage with him and he with her, uh, that there's um, something that is further in the way and that he is going to talk about now. But this woman's resolve, we need, to, we need to look at next. Verse 27 to 28. He said to her, let the children be fed first. He's not talking about her child. And you would think, wait, but she came so that you could help her child Okay, who, what children is he talking about here? Uh, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
So Jesus responds to her. In fact, in Matthew, it says at first he didn't respond. So she was trying to get his attention, trying to come to him, trying to come to him, trying to get his ear, trying to get him to to listen to her. And even the disciples were trying to turn her away or or mute her. Uh, But he responds. And when he responds, it's almost like he's turning her away, telling her that I have other business. And in his response, he likens her to a what? A dog. This could have been highly offensive, but we need to understand what is going on here, and you're going to see how beautiful it, it rolls forward and it resolves. So um, the priority of his mission is what we see in verse 27. There's a little dog under the table there. All right? So the priority of his mission is what we see in verse 27. He says to her to let the children be fed first. This means there's something he's, he's doing of for, foremost importance. This is what his mission is. This is what's out in front. This is what he's after. He's looking for these children. And when you start to unpack and, and look at what he's talking about here, uh, you start to understand, oh, well, hey, if he is the Messiah sent to the people of Israel, we know who he's talking about. God has chosen a people and c- counted them as his children, adopted them. Uh, you see all kinds of language used this way throughout the Old Testament leading up to the day of Jesus here. Hosea 11, 3 and 4, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Talk about toddling, right? I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. He's talking about a people, not just a one person. I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Uh, Several different times, God refers to his people, the people of Israel, as his children, and he is their father. And so he is coming to them first, and you see this as uh, God's plan from a long time ago. Uh, Genesis 12, uh, very early on, God is talking to Abraham. He's going to be the father of this nation that are going to be his children. And he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's not, listen carefully, it's not that God is not intent on blessing people that are not Jews or outside of Israel. It's that he's planning on blessing Israel so that he can work through Israel to be a blessing to all the other families of the earth, all other people types, including Canaanites, Gentiles. And so from the very beginning, we know that this is God's heart, his mission, and how he's going to go about sending a redeemer. And we know that Jesus himself is uh, the one born of Abraham to do this work of blessing all the families. And here he is before us. Matthew 10, uh, verses 5 and 6. Jesus sending out his disciples. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's showing them. This is the template. This is the, the mission right now. Romans 1.16, a little bit later, but referring back, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. So what we have right here in this passage is almost the beginning of an unfolding of what God is going to do to broaden this out so broad, so wide, to many Greeks, many Gentiles. 
And it's like, almost like she sneaks in there under the table first. And, uh, and he's going to address this with her. And when he says this, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. saying, don't feed your dog at the table. Right? Now, okay, let me just be honest. Okay, who feeds their dog at the dinner table, at the table, under the table? Okay, some of you, yeah, that's fine. Okay, and who does not feed the dog at the table? Okay, uh, who doesn't have a dog? Okay, so, okay, so, <clears throat> so you're just throwing food on the ground for no reason. Yeah, so you, you look down there, and, and sometimes you're kind of like, oh, I wish I could clean up that lasagna, but, you know, you know what? <laughs> okay, there we go. Just lick, 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 lick. Perfect, right? We don't even have to mop now. It's great. Um, so, yeah, I know this is, this is something that is, is customary in our homes today. But even back then, you've got dogs uh, that are not viewed as clean animals, and uh, some of them were domesticated, but in large, uh, dogs were not uh, a clean animal. They were outside. They ate among the trash uh, and uh, the, the, the heaps of trash and, and even uh, where uh, dead animals and even corpses were. Um, so they were outside pets. <laughs> they were outside dogs, most of them, right? And so when he's talking about the dogs, it's not right for the children to take, uh, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's referring to the Gentiles, which she is. Those who are not descendants of Abraham, born of his line, those who are not Jews in the flesh. Galatians 2.15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. So making a contrast there. Ephesians 2.11, you guys are probably familiar with this passage and as it relates to how they have become one, but at one point were separate. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Gentiles in the flesh were cut, cut off from the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of David, these promises God was making with his people to deliver them and to rescue them and to lead them and to protect them and to make them holy as they upheld the law that he gave to them. They were outside of all of that. They were, these were people groups that were just out positioned in different places, in Egypt and in Canaan, Syria, and, and other places, Babylon. Uh, and they were looking on as God's chosen people uh, were migrated from, uh, from Ur to Canaan to Egypt to Canaan to wilderness, a lot of wilderness wanderings. And you're watching God lead his people who's supposed to look distinct than all the other peoples of the earth. And then he says this in Ephesians 2.13, the next verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So all of you who don't know, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. You might think of it in those terms, right? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know all these Bible answers or I didn't grow up going to church or any of these things that we could say. And we can say, I, I don't even know what you're talking about when you use these words, Kyle. Uh, you have to define 18 of these terms that you've already said, and I don't know, right? Well, that's how the Gentiles felt, outsiders, distant, far, and no hope and without God in the world. But Jesus was the game changer. Jesus changed all of that, and that was the plan all the way from the beginning, 
was to bring these people in to the promises that were originally given to Israel and then expanded and brought to all people. So Jesus was telling the woman that his first priority in being there among them, there on earth, their teaching was to instruct his disciples. They were going to be the ones through whom God would use and work to spread the message of salvation to the world. And it's not appropriate to interrupt a family meal to give the dogs food from the table. So he's building off something that was customary then and most likely now in most of our houses. So it was not appropriate for him to interrupt his ministry to the disciples to give his services to her, a Gentile. But it's interesting, though, because when he responds this way, she ramps up her efforts. She's not deterred. She's not turned away. Uh, and you see the strength of her faith. And you're going to see that this was actually a good thing. Okay, the, the strength of her faith. In verse 28, how does she respond? But she answered him. Like it was like, that's not enough. Okay, yeah, fancy illustration, dog, table, crumb, you know, bread, I get it. You know, but she answered him and said, yes, Lord. She didn't say, how dare you refer to me as a dog? Right? She could have said that, right? Be real nasty about it and probably been like, had all these people around her go kind of like, yeah, that's not equal, you know, or that's, a, that's not right, you know. Um, shame on you, you know, cancel this, whatever this is, you know, right? But no, she, she answered him and said, yes, you're right. I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner. I don't have hope in this world. I, I don't know all these things. I don't look like this Pharisee guy that just walked away. I, I don't know how to, you know, blow a trumpet before I give money, you know, or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look these, these ways. I'm a mess. Yes, Lord. This is my favorite part of this, this paragraph. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It's like she works with him. She understands and she admits, yes, you're right, and I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to, to have the blessings that are meant for your people. But I believe that even if I just got crumbs from what you're serving to your people, it would be enough. And that's what I'm asking for. You're like, wow, this faith is a real kind of faith. We already learned earlier she had heard about him. Then she came to him, and then she started to, to beg him. And to plead, right? When Jesus answers back and, and talks with her about this bigger plan that's going on, she agrees with the bigger plan. And she pushes back and says, but I trust you now. And she's content with crumbs. So the strength of her faith is amazing. In contrast to the Pharisees that you've been looking at, all they're trying to do is to prove that they're not dogs. And if he said anything remotely like telling them, casting shade on them, that they're like a dog, they would, you know, whatever, however they would respond, you know, no, you, you know, false teacher, you know, they would say all these things, and blasphemer, and say all these things, but no, her response, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm on the outside, looking in, and you're the way in. She didn't fight back in a, in a way that was that was ungodly, that was prideful. She answered back in a way that was humble and that was persistent. Admitting the destitute place that she was in, she was desperate for God. 
oh, if we could be desperate for God, we could respond like her. We could have a faith like her. But unfortunately, we're not desperate for God. It's almost like we found other things to fill us with. So we go, crumbs? No, I'm good. I've got this other pantry over here of sin, and that's been filling me up. So, nah. Now, R.C. Sproul says, she practically said, Yes, Lord, I understand. I have no prior claim to your mercy. I am not numbered among the children. I have no right to sit at the table and feast on the food that you set before your children. I do not want that. I'm satisfied, Lord, with the crumbs. All I'm asking is that you will let me have one crumb from your table. Then I'll be satisfied. Heal my daughter, please. I know she's not in your family. I know she's not numbered among the children. We are the dogs who wait for the crumbs. One crumb is all I'm asking for. And so verse 28 really captures the the strength of her faith and shows what is only lining up next to to be so fitting as well. The woman's reward. The woman's reward. Verse 29 and 30. And he said to her, you might think, well, he's going to answer back and say, hold on, remember, keep your place in line, right? (laughs) Don't get out of line. Um, He could have said something to that effect. But instead, he says to her, for this statement, what she had just said, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. If, if you were her and you heard him say that in that moment, you already came believing he could do it. You already came knowing he could do it. And then to hear him say that that demon has left your baby girl, you're just like, oh, I knew it. I knew you could do it. That's, this reward comes because God is gracious. It's the only way. Because he showed mercy. That's the only way that this woman received any reward. In Matthew 15, 28, in the parallel account, where Matthew's telling the same story in just some different words and uh, adding in a little bit there, Jesus says to this woman, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Do you guys remember how the children of God became children of God in the first place? Father Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's all it took, was faith, just to trust him, just to believe God, to believe that you couldn't do anything, but that he could, and you just surrender with that kind of faith, this kind of trusting in him, turning from your own self-reliance and self-righteousness to trust in him, and then God builds a nation off of this man's faith. Well, guess what? This woman, she's not a part of the family in the blood, but really she is because of her faith. She's grafted in, like Paul says in Romans 9 and 11, and he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles and um, some beautiful sermons we got to go through as Ken exposited those texts about how Israel is not going to have Jesus be their king. They're going to crucify him. They don't want him to be their king. But that's all intentional. Because then he dies for our sin and makes atonement for our sin. And then this message of salvation in Jesus is to both Jew and Gentile. 
And in the church, there's one new man, one new humanity. There's not a division of ethnicities. There's not a a rivalry in here because of our backgrounds. We all have very diverse backgrounds. But in Christ, through faith in Christ, we're one new man working together to serve Christ, who's the head of his church. And so this faith is what you get to look at tonight and just and examine, uh, could this be said of me? Have I done something, anything to, to indicate to Christ that, that I am his, he is mine? For this statement, you shall go your way. He noticed something in the way that she came to him, in the way that she persisted, in the way that she humbled herself before him. This is great faith, saving faith. And it resulted in uh, the demon leaving her daughter. And she went home and found the child, guess what? Lying in bed, the demon gone. Peace. Not a menace in the house, not a mess, not her hurting herself or being hurt, but rescue. I mean, this is a long-range miracle. Boom. He didn't have to be there. He didn't say, bring her to me. Get my ointments out, you know, get my essential oils. Let's make this thing happen, you know. Now, he didn't get the exorcism tongs, you know. <laughs> All right, clever her eyes, you know. So, like, no, he, he just said, okay, boom, faith. That's it. She's saved, baby healed, rescued. Satan, loser, got nothing. And Jesus is coming through conquering. You need to understand something. When you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus do things that are miraculous, do you know what he's doing? He's showing you what heaven's going to be like. He's reversing all the effects of the curse. He's pulling it back. Saying, in heaven, Satan will be bound permanently. He won't be able to, to send demons into people's lives. He won't be able to afflict little babies, little children. He won't be able to have this autoimmune disease plague your child's life. He won't be able to let you go around sinning and affecting people with your sin. No, he comes through and he's healing people, showing people he has the power to rescue you from sin and from death, from disease, from demons. And he is the way, the only way to heaven. And you're like, he's the one. He's worthy. I want to follow him. So I think she had more of a reward than her daughter being made well. That was the day that her eyes opened completely to who Jesus is. And she was forever changed. So I just want to just share with you very quickly as the end, at the end here. I remember when I was on the outside looking in. My parents loved the Lord dearly. They were not hypocrites in our home. They did not say one thing and then do another. They loved the Lord. They made him first. They talked winsomely about him. They disciplined us in love. We never questioned that. And they lived before us a life that was different, a kingdom kind of life. And I, as a eight, nine, ten-year-old, little rebel, rotten kid uh, who faced all kinds of problems... And, and, and encountered all kinds of uh, discipline in school and at home and every, everything else, I was able to see that I was on the outside. I was able to recognize I don't have what they have. I don't have that peace. 
I don't have that rest in my soul. I'm a restless little rebel at heart. And, and the Lord, through his grace, just worked in that example and that steady teaching and faithfulness just helped me to, to, to hear, to come to him and to just beg, humbly beg and say, Lord, just the crumbs, please. That changes everything. So if you're not saved, don't go away from here thinking, oh, God, man, whew, I got so much ahead of me I got to do. No. How, what did you hear? You didn't hear that. Crumbs. Unworthy. Admit it. You need him. Don't try to prove to him that you're worth it. Don't try to show him your righteousness. It's never going to be enough. Admit that you can't and you never could. And only he can. And he's right in front of you. And then everything changes. The lights come on. You see everything clearly. Things that you've done that are wrong, you start to go, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to think differently about that. You look at God differently. You look at your own sin and your own relationships differently. If you're a believer here tonight, you know that you are fine to be under the table. <laughs> you're like, hey, it's good. It's good. The crumbs are awesome. Keep them coming. Lord, you are good. Even if I'm just like, could touch the outer garment of you as you pass by. That, that's, that's it. You, know, it's, you have this faith that's just real. And, and you, don't, you don't try to keep being the king of your kingdom anymore. You have just been content to admit that you need him to be the king. And that's it. Let me pray. God, thank you for tonight. We're grateful for your grace. We're thankful for encounters with Christ like this one. That we can look at and see a woman who is not worthy. A woman who is not worthy to be counted as saved. Lord, and that is something that you do. You make us worthy. Lord, you are the one who is worthy. We'll never have worthiness in ourselves. All we do is point to Christ and say, Lord, you have done the work. So Lord, thank you for giving us good news tonight. Thank you for giving us an illustration, multiple illustrations of what it means to hear, to come, and to beg humbly and without end. Lord, just the crumbs, even the dogs, that's who we are. May you be the only one counted as worthy. In your name we pray, amen.